Okay, here we go. Pop quiz. Have you ever heard of Roland Stewart? Anybody? Well, if you're a sports fan who lived through the 1980s, you might have seen him, even if you haven't heard of him. The Colorado Springs Gazette described Roland Stewart as, quote, a fixture in American sports culture in the 1980s, end quote. He became known for showing up at major sporting events like football games, baseball games, basketball games with a sign emblazoned with John 316. He kind of helped to make that famous. He always made sure to secure seats in a location where the TV cameras could not miss him or miss his message. After he converted to Christianity, Stewart made it his life's mission to bring maximum visibility to John 3 verse 16. He made his television debut at the 1977 NBA Finals, and eventually he was spotted at the Olympics, at the Augusta National Golf Club, the Kentucky Derby, the World Series, the Super Bowl, and even the royal wedding of Princess Diana and Prince Charles. I don't think he was around for some high-stakes cornhole matches, but maybe. He wore a rainbow-colored wig, which helped draw attention to himself, obviously, and ostensibly to John 3.16. He traveled 60,000 miles a year to promote this one single Bible verse. But sadly, his story has a tragic twist. He was married multiple times. His fourth wife filed for divorce in 1990 over allegations of physical abuse. And his behavior became increasingly erratic as time passed. Finally, in September 1991, he attempted to hold three hostages in a hotel room near Los Angeles International Airport, LAX. The SWAT team showed up, arrested Stewart, and eventually he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences and is currently incarcerated in a California state prison. His ministry came to a sad end, but perhaps not completely unexpected, given his personal history. And yet the popularity and the power of John 3.16 lives on. According to Lifeway Research, it was the most popular Bible verse on the website Bible Gateway in 2021. Maybe because all of us need to be reminded often that God really does love us. Stewart's story is tragic, but illustrates an important truth. The power of John 3.16 is not in the verse reference. The power is placing our faith in the Son of God, who offers eternal life to everybody who is born again of water and spirit. Also, that's found in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And the end of that beautiful verse, John 3.16, promises everlasting life. And we're going to hear a lot more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Hey, good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. You are listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. And today's episode stems from a lesson dated November. It's November, ladies and gentlemen. Bienvenidos a Noviembre. November 5th, 2023, and it is entitled Everlasting Life. And no surprise comes from John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, Jesus spoke those words to Nicodemus, 
Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. They were the highest governing Jewish religious authority. They were kind of like the Supreme Court of Jewish law. Nicodemus was a conservative Jew. He believed in strict adherence to the law of Moses. And the average Jewish citizen looked at the Pharisees with great admiration because they were so religious, they were so pious, and many of the people in that day felt like they were so not. The Pharisees had a counterpart known as the Sadducees. They were the ruling Jewish party of Jesus' day. And the major difference between the two, the Pharisees believed in miracles and supernatural intervention, and the Sadducees, not so much. They didn't believe in angels or a resurrection or anything really supernatural. And so likely Nicodemus approached Jesus at night because he didn't want his fellow Pharisees to know about this little interview he was going to have with Jesus. Many of the Pharisees saw Jesus as a troublemaker, as an upstart, as a revolutionary, and Nicodemus did not want them to see him with him. Most of the other Sanhedrin members hated Jesus. He wasn't afraid to confront their hypocrisy with truth. And later, it was the Sanhedrin who would condemn Jesus to death. So here's our first question. Have you ever been afraid to approach Jesus or hesitant to know him more closely? Good question. The nighttime setting of Nicodemus' visit symbolized the spiritual darkness that pervaded God's people during that time. There's an amazing theme of light and dark all throughout the book of John. And so it's no wonder here in John chapter 3 in the beginning that there is this theme and this feeling of darkness and night. When it came to comprehending and understanding spiritual truth, Nicodemus and most of his colleagues were in the dark. But Jesus, well, he's the light of the world, John 9, 5, and he's about to illuminate Nicodemus's life and understanding. Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and seems like he might be rehearsing his words, going to offer a little flattery to a rabbi, teacher, We know you're a teacher come from God. Nobody can do the miracles you do unless God is with them. How did you do the water to wine wonder? I want to see that again. This little seed of faith in Nicodemus that he saw the supernatural happen brought Nicodemus to Jesus. He could not understand how do you do what you do. He couldn't understand who Jesus was, but he understood Jesus had to come from God. He has to be divine. As Jesus often did in the Gospels, he cut straight to the heart of the matter. Jesus was not being paid by the hour to talk to Nicodemus. Jesus wasted no time at all. He looked at Nicodemus and said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What? Nicodemus didn't ask about being born again. He didn't even ask about seeing the kingdom of God. But Jesus knew exactly what was in Nicodemus' heart, and he knew what Nicodemus needed to hear. Nicodemus didn't possess enough spiritual understanding to even form the question, much less wait for the answer. But Jesus pointed that conversation in that direction of eternity. John later recorded that there were other chief rulers who believed on Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, did not confess him. They were kind of closet Christians. Mental acknowledgement is not enough. It's not enough to believe Jesus is divine. It's not enough to believe Jesus came, died, was buried, rose from the grave. We must act on our faith. We must be obedient with our faith. Nicodemus responded to Jesus with a question. So here we go. How? Unlike the critics of Christianity who have ridiculed those claims of Jesus throughout centuries, Nicodemus did not mock him. 
Nicodemus was a sincere seeker who would not let a momentary confusion dissuade him from pursuing truth. Aren't you glad God is not put off by our lack of understanding or our questions? Maybe you've heard this statement before, don't question God. And I understand what people are saying when they say that, but God is not intimidated by our questions. If you have sincere questions for or about God, you can ask. God is not intimidated in truth, will always stand after all theories fall. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We can seek God even when we don't understand him. We don't understand his ways. We don't understand his words, but we can still seek him. Jesus offered a comforting assurance to everybody who approaches God in prayer. Matthew chapter 6 verse 8 reads, your father knows what you need even before you ask. That's good news. Nicodemus didn't really know what he needed, but God did. And so Jesus opened up that conversation. Maybe sometimes we come to Jesus with some purpose in mind, hoping to get one answer, but because he knows us, he knows our thoughts, he knows our hearts, he knows our deepest needs, he can redirect us toward what really matters. We can confidently approach him in prayer and offer our questions and our doubts. We can express our emotions. We can confess, God, I don't understand. I don't don't understand why you're doing this, or I don't understand why you're allowing this. I don't understand why this is happening. We can take that to God. Revelation 2, Jesus described himself as he which searcheth the reins and hearts. Now, if you're bent toward evil, that should be a terrifying revelation. But if you really want to seek God, and you don't really know how to pray, that should be comforting because he searches the heart. Here's a question. Do you find it comforting to know that Jesus knows your thoughts? Why or why not? Again, if you're bent toward evil, probably not. But if you really want to know him, probably so. Why Nicodemus was just sitting there scratching his head, wondering, how can I be born again? That doesn't make any sense. Jesus said, let me, make, let me explain it. Let me make it clear. You must be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, from the context of this conversation, Jesus was clearly referring to water baptism when he said, you must be born of water. The opening chapter of John's gospel includes a discussion between John the Baptist and those the Pharisees sent, and it's about water and spirit baptism. John the Baptist was baptizing his followers in the Jordan River, but he received a supernatural sign that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He, Jesus, would baptize with the Holy Ghost, not just with water, but with the Spirit. So immediately following that conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus and his followers went into the land of Judea and, wait for it, baptized in water. So many New Testament statements, so many examples stress the importance, the beauty of water baptism in the name of Jesus. We must obey Jesus' command to be born of water to enter the kingdom of God. But we don't stop with water baptism. Jesus clearly stated that this full new birth experience also includes spirit baptism. And spirit baptism would be accompanied by a sign. He compared spirit baptism to the blowing of the wind. John used the Greek word pneuma when referring to the wind and the spirit in this passage. And Jesus noted that the wind and the birth of the spirit are accompanied by a sound. It's a word phone, which is usually translated as voice. In some other New Testament passages, there's a sound that accompanies spirit baptism. When the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, 
there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and that wind produced another sound as the voices of believers in that upper room, a hundred and twenty of them, began to speak with other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Those 120 believers who had gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, just simply being obedient to Jesus' command to go wait for the promise of the Father, were the first to experience new birth. Jesus described it to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and they experienced it in Acts chapter 2. They were the first, but thank God they were not the last. The Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. Cornelius and the Gentiles, and it kind of sounds like a band, and he was part of an Italian band, but not that kind of a band. They received the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues, and just for good measure, just because God is abundantly gracious, another group of Jews, some disciples of John the Baptist who had not yet followed Jesus, they received the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues in Acts chapter 19. And today, millions of believers around the world have been baptized in Jesus' name, and they have received the Holy Spirit indicated by the supernatural sign of speaking in other tongues or languages, just like Jesus described in Nicodemus, would happen. The religious teacher had begun this conversation by saying, Jesus, we know, but in just a few sentences, <laughs> Nicodemus did not know. Jesus stretched him past the breaking point, stretched his understanding. In fact, Jesus even got a little bit sarcastic with him and said, what do you mean you don't understand? You're, you're one of the chief teachers in all of Israel. You're the guy, if anybody knows, you should know and you don't know. Jesus was teaching him. It's more than just knowing the law, more than just knowing what the scriptures say. You must have an experience with God, this new birth experience. Even though he had an extensive knowledge of Scripture, Nicodemus did not understand what Jesus was saying, which tells us it is possible to be faithful, to be religious. It is possible to be in church every Sunday and every Wednesday and still be in the dark about water and spirit baptism. It's possible to never fully personally experience what Jesus has to offer. It's not important enough to be intelligent or to understand or to comprehend. It's important to experience. Paul later wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, the world by wisdom knew not God. That's the case today. Human wisdom will never produce supernatural results. We need the power of the Spirit. So let me ask you this. What are some common hindrances that keep people from accepting biblical truth today? I'd tell you one of those is tradition. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way my grandparents were raised. This is what I've always been taught without actually getting into the Word of God and looking for themselves. What are some other hindrances that keep people from accepting biblical truth in our day? Now, here's good news. The good news is the good news is still the good news. The good news is the gospel, and the gospel leads to salvation. And you don't have to be degreed in order to be saved. In fact, Jesus told the disciples one day, unless you become like a child, you don't really have a chance. And children don't have doctorates. If you have a doctorate, praise God, but don't rely on your doctorate to have an experience with God. If you don't even have a high school diploma, if you haven't even graduated from middle school, you can still be saved and right with God. The only requirement is obedient faith. 
on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached that we need to be born of water, baptism in the name of Jesus, and the Spirit, the infilling of the gift of the Holy Spirit, about 3,000 people received his word and were baptized. Today, we can believe and obey those words of Jesus to Nicodemus. We can believe the witness of the apostles. We can experience firsthand what it is like to be born again of water and spirit. And once again, that combination, that dynamic duo of water and spirit baptism is found all throughout the book of Acts. Now, John 3, verse 16, back to where we started. It's one of the most frequently cited and quoted verses in all the entire Bible. Out of 30,102 verses, John three sixteen is right there. Roland Stewart certainly loved it. He had it on his shirt, he had it on his sign, and he stood right there in front of the end zone so all the watching world would see. When the New Testament speaks of Jesus as the only begotten Son of God, it refers to Jesus' role as our Savior. John 3.16 also tells us Jesus is the begotten, meaning as a man, there was a time when he came into existence. He was begotten at a specific point in time. I was born in February of 1979, but in 1975, I was not here. I was not yet begotten. There was a time when I was not, and thank the Lord, there was a time where I am. There was a time when Jesus, as man, was not. and then. In a little manger in Bethlehem, there was a time where, thank God, God came to our world as the begotten Son. And as the Son of God, Jesus lived sinless. He died on the cross sinless as the sinless sacrifice for our sins. And when we put our faith in his work at Calvary, when we believe in him, as John 3.16 declares, we will have everlasting life. Biblically speaking, Belief is more than just mental acknowledgement that Jesus died on the cross. If you believe that happened, great, you're already on the way, but you're basically a historian. It includes obedience to his commands, including his command to be born again of water and spirit. And Jesus ended his conversation with Nicodemus by telling him, Nicodemus, light has come into the world. In John 8, verse 12 and 9, verse 5, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. It's interesting, isn't it? Nicodemus came to Jesus under the cover of darkness, not realizing he is about to have a conversation, a holy conversation with the one who illuminates everything, including the spiritual darkness in the heart of humanity. Jesus is the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world, John 1 verse 9. And Jesus told Nicodemus, Nick, let me tell you why men love darkness rather than light. It's because their deeds are evil. Darkness serves as a cover for evil, but when the light of the world comes, they flee from the light and they refuse to embrace this new birth message and experience because they love their darkness rather than light. Another question, in what ways is Jesus the light of the world? Now, there is no truth outside of the light, outside of Jesus Christ. All truth is his truth and no matter who says it, no matter how degreed they are, no matter how many books they have written or read, there is absolute truth. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus Christ. Before the end of their conversation, before Nicodemus slipped back into the darkness, Jesus told him, he that doeth truth cometh to the light. Truth is more than just a set of facts to believe. It calls us into obedience. It calls us to respond to those facts, to be born again, 
born of water, born of the Spirit. The only way to enjoy the everlasting life Jesus promised is to obey what he commanded, and that's to be born again. Last question. What does new life look like for you? Now, if you have obeyed this command to be born of water and the Spirit, and you have been baptized in the name of Jesus and entered into that covenant relationship with Him, and you've been filled with His Holy Spirit with the supernatural sign of speaking in other tongues, just as we see in Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, Acts 9, all throughout the New Testament, praise God daily for your salvation. But if you have never been born again of water and the Spirit, this is the day to be born again. Obey that command of Jesus. Hear what he told Nicodemus and apply. Obey what he told Nicodemus. Repent of your sins. Be baptized in Jesus' name. And he, by his amazing grace, will fill you with the gift of his Holy Spirit. And we wrap this up. They slithered. They coiled and uncoiled. It seemed they dropped from the very heavens. The people wailed in agony, but they knew the horrors were their own doing, the fruit of their own rebellion. As the death toll grew, the people acknowledged their sin, and they begged Moses, please, Moses, pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Moses prayed, and in response, God provided a very unusual remedy. He commanded Moses to craft the image of a serpent. That's the last thing they wanted to see. Out of brass and mount that serpent on a pole. Moses lifted up the pole so everybody who was bitten could see the brass serpent, and those who looked on the image Moses had crafted at God's direction survived God's judgment. As Jesus entered Jerusalem on the final week before his crucifixion, he told his disciples, Now the prince of this world will be cast out. Satan, that serpent who had successfully deceived and destroyed the whole world, was about to meet his end. And just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness to secure the people's salvation and their healing, Jesus would soon be lifted up on a cross. And Jesus said this, John 12, verse 32, And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That was Jesus' promise. It wasn't the answer the disciples looked for, but it was the answer they needed. It was the cross. Jesus' words echoed Isaiah 45, verse 22, where God said, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Only by looking to Jesus, by putting our faith in him, by obeying what he commanded, Jesus, God in human flesh, he's the only way we find deliverance and salvation. It's only by believing in the gospel, what he did at Calvary and obeying those commands to be born again, can we find eternal life. Do not reject Jesus as the only source of salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Many people see the cross as foolishness. Jesus' contemporaries certainly did. They scorned him. They made fun of him. They rejected him. They mocked him. And yet one of them, a centurion, stood at the foot of the cross and said, surely this man is the Son of God. When he saw Jesus crucified, and he did not revile, and he did not curse. In fact, he forgave those who crucified him. For once in his life, the centurion felt the mercy of God rather than judgment and realized this man, this man is the Son of God. For those of us who have been born again of water and spirit, let's keep preaching the cross. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel. It is the hope of eternal life. 
And for those who have never yet experienced it, you can experience it today. Repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be born again and allow Jesus to change your life just like he has changed mine. I want to pray for God to illuminate truth to present-day Nicodemuses. There are Nicodemuses all over our world, hungry for God, but don't really know how to find him. And I want to pray for God to pour out his spirit and minister to and save everyone who wants to be. Dear Jesus, I love you. Thank you for this wonderful message, this glorious gospel. Thank you for all you've done for us. I do pray today you'd minister to every Nicodemus in the world, everyone hungry for you, everyone who wants to know you, everyone who wants to draw close to you, everyone who is curious, maybe even confused, disappointed, or even disillusioned with you, that they would come to you in sincerity and in humility, and you would change their lives. God, I pray, pour out your Spirit. Change every life, transform every life, work miracles and wonders. Do all of this for your glory, according to your, your grace, our faith. I pray that every hungry heart would be filled and every searching soul would find you and be born again. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. If you're looking for a church that believes and preaches this beautiful truth, go to upci.org and you can find a church locator there that will help you to find an apostolic Pentecostal church that preaches this new birth message from the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, upci.org. Also, while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe, follow, like, notify, share. That way you'll never miss an episode of God's Word for Life and you can share it with others so they too can be blessed by what you are being blessed by through the Word of God, through God's Word for life. And while you're online, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com and pick up some great resources. We have wonderful curriculum. All the God's Word for Life suite is there. And then other resources like Bibles, books, Bible studies, music, and so many other resources. PentecostalPublishing.com. And if you use promo code GWFL10, you'll receive 10% off your entire order the first time you use that promo code GWFL10 for God's Word for Life 10. I want to tell you about another podcast that just recently launched. If you are one of our teachers, be sure to check out The Formed Podcast. Each episode features a teacher or an expert, typically in interview format, where I'm interviewing a teacher helping us to learn how to better teach and train teachers in the local church. So that is at Google, Spotify, Apple, pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. And it's on YouTube. If you go to our Pentecostal Publishing YouTube channel, you'll see the video version of that interview on the Formed Podcast. Hey, great news, everybody. We just crossed 190,000 downloads. So very soon, we are going to hit 200,000 downloads. Thank you so much for making God's Word for Life part of your devotion. And if you're one of our God's Word for Life teachers, thank you for sharing this glorious gospel with the students God has called you to teach and the sheep he's called you to feed and lead. Next week, we continue the series, Jesus Responds to Faith, and I want to share with you an episode called The Mighty God in Christ. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, 
Make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at pentecostalpublishing.com.